This is the Bodar Blast by the USS Decatur, with your host, Lieutenant Junior Raid, Daniel Earl. All views expressed on this show are not those of the United States Navy and made by the individuals who are on the show. All music used is used with the permission of the songwriter or is royalty free. This is a feature production of the USS Decatur and is made free to use and free for all the families and supporters of the USS Decatur DDG-73. Old and dear. And welcome to the Bodar Blast. I am Lieutenant Junior Grade Daniel Ehrlich, and thank you for joining us on our ninth episode of the podcast. And we've been continuing to do the mission for the Navy out here in the Western Pacific. And while it's still business as usual with normal operations that we do out here. Uh, We have been having some fun over the last few weeks, so I'm kind of excited to tell you about some of the the things we've been doing over the last few weeks in uh, early May into the middle of the month. So uh, we started out the month with uh, Cinco de Mayo, um, and our multicultural association uh, led an awesome event, uh, which celebrated Cinco de Mayo, including a, a cake cutting by the captain, as well as some games. Uh, there was Pin the Mustache on the Goat, which is, uh, a goat is, if you don't know, the slang term for a, uh, a chief, uh, or a chief petty officer. Uh, so we were pinning the mustache on our, uh, beloved, uh, bosun mate, uh, chief petty officer, uh, Cora. Um, I tried it out. I went a little left. I had forgotten how dizzy you get from uh, those kinds of games, and I felt very sick afterwards. <laughs> I wanted to puke afterwards, but um, the other games included Loteria. Uh, Loteria is uh, very very similar to uh, American version of Bingo, except it, it deals with words and pictures and stuff like that instead of numbers and bingo balls and such like that. Uh, so our Multicultural Association led that event. Very successful event. I think everybody had an awesome time. Uh, look at the social media post on our social media and you'll see more about that uh, event within recent history we, we posted about it we also pulled into Guam this month uh, so Guam part two as some might call it uh, another kind of you know put the put the business suit on uh, put the tie on and get the lunch pail ready and uh, it was a working port so Getting work done. A lot of uh, a lot of our sailors got a lot of important work done for our systems that were having uh, issues or casualties, and uh, and they did a great job in port and getting a lot of those issues fixed. I know, for instance, my fire controlman uh, working on the close-in weapon system on board. They put in a lot of hours. I know the fire controlman Aegis uh, variant guys working on Spy also put in a lot of hours. So. Uh, big props to them it's not easy seeing everybody go home or go to their hotels um, and you're still grinding out here but it is kind of that bring your lunch pail mentality and those guys and gals uh, really put in a lot of work to and care about their systems and the level of ownership that every sailor has for their equipment on board is admirable everybody really puts in a lot of work and effort makes their equipment their own I know and weapons department are gunners and fire controlmen name their their guns uh, that's just kind of an, an endearment thing for the equipment that they take so much care of 
um, because they do put in long hours for that equipment. They do put in a lot of time for that equipment. So it's it's kind of a labor of love for them. But Guam was awesome. Everybody got the experience to not only uh, work on the ship, but also go out in the town, eat some good food. I know I had some great buffalo wings. Uh, for those of you that have been to the horse and cow in Guam, best buffalo wings in Guam. If you ever do get to go to Guam, uh, no free ads, but I'll, I'll shout those guys out. They have really great wings and their submarine bar. Really good beer as well. But uh, the, went there. I know a lot of people got hotels. I certainly did. And that's, that's one of the things that's tough about being on deployment. I was talking to friends about it recently in, in some texts. It's, it's a tough thing on deployment. I'm sure your, your family members that are on the cater uh, talk about it too. Is just We're very close on the ship. It's a 300-person family. But when you're at sea together for seven months, A, you get into Guam and you just want some time alone. It's a port where you don't need a buddy. And you just get a rental car, you get some food, and you get a hotel room, and just relax. I know for me, I, I watch some YouTube videos, I go down to the beach, I read a book, and have a beer in my hand. But it's it's one of those times where you can get a little bit of privacy that, unfortunately, this ship is not really able to afford you. And that, that's one of the toughest parts about being in such close proximity is, and I find it too, and you've probably heard in my recordings in the past, people opening doors and... Uh, moving about spaces as I'm recording because there's almost no privacy on board. Everybody's using a space or it's a public space or anybody can kind of get to you whenever uh, they, they they need to. And that's important because if there's an emergency or something, that's, that's a big deal. But it's also one of those things where, um, you know, if you, if you do need to cry or if you do need to just have a moment to just be alone, it's tough. Uh, and sometimes Iraq is your only solace and even then, Iraqi isn't even your only solace because uh, especially I, I know for officers and maybe some senior enlisted even junior enlisted you know the rack curtains open hey somebody needs you somebody's on the phone for you and you gotta spring up and get out or you know one MC goes off and there's uh, there's a emergency and you have to you have to get out there and do something about it so it's one of those things where unfortunately that that privacy is not is not permitted but it, Guam was a great chance for a lot of our sailors to get those hotel rooms or get some time by themselves, uh, experience the local food and cuisine and uh, hiking. Um, unfortunately, we had to get underway early. Uh, we probably one of the few times in a lot of people's career on board here. I know, for instance, uh, uh, Commander Jimenez, our captain, was saying that it was his second uh, in his entire career, and he's been in for about 20 years. Um, but we, we had a the Papa flag went up, and it was a personnel recall, all personnel back to the ship. We had to get out of port and sortie uh, to get out of port uh, in time to get out of the way of uh, Typhoon Mawar, who uh, really just went, had it out for Guam. <laughs> and I thought it was dumb. Uh, personally, I thought it was dumb at first. I thought, you know, the, the, the hurricane was going to the east or it was tracking to the east. And a few days later, it just kept going west, kept going west. And then... Uh, our, our, our heartfelt, uh, our, our, our feelings and thoughts and prayers are with uh, the people of Guam as they continue to recover uh, from Typhoon Mawar. Thankfully, it doesn't look like there were any casualties or uh, humongous amounts of damage, just a lot of flooding, a lot of, of some structural damage, but uh, uh, we, we, we do support the 
Guamanian people, uh, and we've been there a couple times. Our deployment, they've been nothing but uh, nothing but hospitable, and they're Americans, and we have some Guamanians on the ship, uh, including NC1 Valencia and uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Santos and uh, and Lieutenant Junior Grade Lee, as well as a few others that have family on the island or family in the Northern Marianas that got hit, um, and we hope that their families are doing well. Uh, thankfully, we haven't heard any bad reports, so that's that's really good. Um, but if you're listening, please uh, make sure that you check in with your families uh, if they're in that area. Um, and then we got out of the area, but we're, we're back to, to help support the, the uh, rebuilding efforts here, the, the, the cleanup efforts here in Guam. Um, and uh, we, 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 had, we helped out with the rebuilding efforts and the, the cleanup efforts and We've been, we, we were here to support the island when, when the island needed it, and it was very rewarding. It's one of those experiences where when you're called for humanitarian assistance, and fortunately we weren't boots on the ground, but we, we, being able to support the island in a time of need, especially uh, fellow Americans, is, is very important. So I think that was pretty rewarding. Um, so Guam was great. Unfortunately, Typhoon Mawar, Mawar uh, you... you you sicko! Uh, you had to run over the island, but uh, thankfully Guam is is uh, already uh, recovering and is is making their way back to uh, what it was. Uh, unfortunately, rest in peace, uh, Tiki Bar, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite places on the island. Uh, but I, I know there's a lot of uh, businesses and hotels that are uh, already well along their way on the uh, recovery efforts. And then uh, the, the normal routine has kept going, people getting qualifications and uh, people kind of moving through the daily routine. Uh, at this point in deployment, I'm sure you've talked to your, to your family members on board, but it's, it's the same routine every day. And personally, I mean, I'm tired. I know a lot of us are tired. We're six months in and uh, at this point, it's just uh, everybody's kind of getting towards the finish line of this deployment and looking towards San Diego and being home with all of you um, and being back. We've had a great deployment. We've done some really awesome things. And, uh, but unfortunately, at this point, we're just, we're all spent. And so we're, we're trying to, trying to reach for the finish line, Talladega night style, uh, just scraping for the end. But I, I, I'm very, I see people with smiles on their faces every day and putting in their absolute best effort every single day. And that's just what the people on, on Decatur and our sailors do. They just, you know, they turn around and they, they do their job. And that's that's the most important thing is making sure that you, you keep up the energy because otherwise you're just going to, you're, uh, it, it, you're just going to go downhill. And that's the toughest thing is just maintaining that motivation. But uh, we're a team on here. And that's really the family aspect of it on here is just everybody's very supportive of each other. But as we ended the month, we had a... Uh, we got out of Guam, supporting the typhoon efforts uh, in, in Guam, and then uh, recently Memorial Day, we, uh, we had a Steel Beach picnic for Memorial Day, uh, hosted by our First Class Petty Officer Association, and first time I've ever seen this uh, competition on the ship, but we did a, a hot dog eating contest. You would think that would uh, you know, be saved for Fourth of July, but instead we did our USS Decatur version of the hot dog eating contest on Memorial Day instead. So uh, we have 15 competitors and some really awesome prizes were given out, but I know that the top eater who 
I feel like he, at least from my visual of the the event, crushed the competition he was rolling. GSM three Williams, he crushed it. He ate, I think, fifteen hot dogs in ten minutes, which I mean is impressive. And I can't I can't eat more than two hot dogs. It just makes me sick to think about it, in one sitting. Um, and so he won a great prize as well as ET2 Nickerson who came in second and then uh, DC3 Garrido who came in third and both of them they, they had a, a hot dog they had a hot dog runner up competition because they both tied uh, so they, they had to eat five more hot dogs unfortunately DC3 Garrido tapped out so he got third place he had to take third place but I mean, all that, every single one of the competitors is just impressive. Like I said, I can't even fathom eating more than just two hot dogs in one sitting. That's, it's hard to even fathom. But those are kind of the, the major events that the ship has done on board that I can kind of talk about that are kind of the break from the daily routine. And then uh, just kind of a little bit more about USS Decatur, a little bit of fun facts, because I kind of want to bring that to our show a little bit more about Decatur and what, what Decatur is and and what this ship is and its history and its people. Um, and that's the whole mission of this show. And so today I, I want to tell you a little bit about the history of Decatur and uh, Stephen Decatur himself. And the man himself was a pretty cool dude. I wish I... He, he's somebody I really would want to meet. He was a... He was the youngest officer ever to take command of a ship in the Navy at 25 years old. He took command of the uh, USS Constellation, I believe, at 25 years old and was a very young Commodore. He was a Commodore uh, because at that time that was a rank in the Navy and so we we derived a lot of our ranks from the Royal Navy at the time. But he's very famous for uh, two major events in American history and American naval history and the first one was during the Barbary Wars in the late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, against the, the Barbary pirates of Northern Africa. Uh, the USS Philadelphia had run aground in Tripoli Harbor, now Tripoli, Libya, uh, and had run aground. And the Tripoli, uh, the Tripoli pirates had basically taken taken the the ship hostage and taken the entire crew as prisoners of war. And so Stephen Decatur led, along with William Bainbridge, Commodore William Bainbridge, who uh, was the Commodore for the two ships that assisted, Siren and Intrepid, which are actually the name of our two small boat, seven meter uh, ribs, uh, rigid hulled inflatable boats on board. So a little bit more history on Decatur here. Um, But he led the Marine ground force uh, in a daring, quote unquote, night raid. into Tripoli Harbor in the middle of the night and stormed the USS Philadelphia, was able to save the entire crew and burn down the ship before the the adversary could use the ship against the US. And so his act was actually identified as one of the most, quote, the most bold and daring act of the age. And that that's no small words coming from Lord Admiral Horatio Nelson, who uh, if anybody knows maritime history, was a prominent figure then and a prominent figure throughout the entirety of the Royal Navy's uh, history. Uh, and so that's a pretty big, 
that's pretty big praise heaped onto Commodore Decatur then. So that's why bold and daring is our motto. And then later on, his actions uh, during the war, uh, war of 1812, he was one of the few officers to lead a raid and successfully take a uh, British ship. And he actually took a British ship of the line, the HMS Macedonian, uh, which was the largest type of ship back in the day. Think of a, a battleship from nineteen, you know, from from World War Two. That was the kind of battleship back then. Uh, if you don't really know kind of the nautical and maritime history of it, and he took that ship in a battle at sea and took it as a prize, one of the most important naval battles and naval victories in early U.S. Navy history, and he was hailed as a, as a naval hero after that. Unfortunately, he lived as he died. Um, he got into an argument with another Commodore in the uh, Navy uh, and felt like something was a, a personal offense to him and was challenged to a duel, which he promptly accepted, and unfortunately, he lost that duel and got shot. So he went down living as he, uh, as or dying as he lived, uh, fight until the end, so uh, that's a little bit about the man that was named, or that is our namesake for this ship. And there's been five ships named after uh, Commodore Stephen Decatur. And uh, the ship's crest actually has five stars on it to represent that we are the fifth ship, uh, the fifth ship named after Commodore Stephen Decatur. So that's kind of a little bit of history behind the naming of the USS Decatur and why it's so important. So with that... We got a really packed show for you today. We have an awesome interview with uh, CTM2 cryptologic technician, uh, second class, Ethan Johnson, who's a very interesting uh, and just, he's a, a student of the game kind of guy. And I really appreciate talking to him and learning from him. And, and that's, that's kind of the best thing about being an officer is you get to learn so much from the people that you lead. And he's... I mean, he's the top of the line for that. So, uh, without further ado, CTM2 Johns. And I am joined by CTM2 Ethan Johnson. Uh, what does uh, what does CTM2 exactly mean? Cryptologic technician maintenance. Crypt so. Cryptologic technician maintenance. Okay, so what exactly is that? So I'm in charge of all the gear and sets gear that provides indications and warnings for the ship, as well as 28 antennas. Uh, I share gear and radio with the ITs. I have to be keen on networking, as well as like ET-related things, right? So I'm a blend, a blend of a lot of different rates. So I have to be able to fix any issue that goes on via, like, it could be anything, right? Networking, it could be an antenna, it could be... Um, even casualty control, right? I'm the guy that's trained on that for that space and that set of gear, right? So the CTRs are not trained on that. Um, it's my job to cover down for it. So I don't stand watch. It's not something I do. I am on call 24-7 just to be ready for anything. I get racked out all the time. The most I've ever got racked out in one night is four times. So that was fun. But... Yeah, so my, my job is like, it's very unique, especially for somebody who got here as a seaman, right? And then I became one of one when I put on third class, right? So 
I had to make my own schedule. I had to tell or teach myself what I needed to know without even knowing what I needed at the time, right? And then at the same time, I had to get my ISWAS and, and do all these other extra things like collaterals as well. Um, and I had to do that without a first class, without like guidance, you know? So that's what I think is just, like super unique about my job is it takes a special kind of person to do that. Um, and most CTMs are all on that, you know, like most, most CTMs do that. It's just natural, right? Um, so it's not like a money uh, above them or but Yeah, it's just kind of like in the job description because you have to be always looking to do the extra thing. Yeah, so you started out as a, as a CTMSN, a seaman on here, and you've seen kind of a meteoric rise on this ship. You've gone from third class, uh, CTMSN to CTM3 to CTM2 in just a period of a couple of years. So yeah. how, how, how does that work? I mean, what, what's really been your drive? Yeah, so I had very fantastic uh, mentors, right? So I had CTR1 Tully while he was here. I got CTR2 Sanchez. I got uh, CTR2 Berg. I had some really good people that just looked out for me. Um, and, like, when I got here, right, this is a little seaman, I had to do all of the basic things, right? Like, all the, like, the bottom stuff. Put on third class, nothing really changed. I was still, like, very junior. Yeah, so okay. you were you were a, a third class and you still were pretty junior. So, what was your drive to keep going? Uh, so I didn't really have much of a choice because I put on third. Um, obviously, after the, the twelve months, um, and then as soon as I put on third, I waited the six months like the minimum time, right? Um, and then instantly put on second. So the shortest time you can be a third class and make second I, I did that which was nice financially right but the like responsibilities hit me pretty hard because again 101 quals um, and I had my own things I was trying to pursue right just in life um, all hit at once and I just wasn't really I was it's not I wasn't ready I, I, I did my best but you know it started getting very difficult Falls dropped, right? Uh, like priorities and stuff that fell apart. But uh, overall, though, like, we, I, it's just, it's just the hard part of being a big CTM, you know? Like that's the challenge. Like I don't know how to really describe it. Um, it doesn't, it's not really something I can like explain. It's just a lot. What was the toughest part about all of the new responsibilities? I mean, there, I. I know as a leader, I'm sure every leader will say on this ship, like, the more, the higher up you get, I mean, it, it gets tougher and more responsibility, and everybody wants to be on top until you're actually there. So, I mean, what kind of responsibilities kind of came down that you realized made it even tougher? It was hard for me because I wanted to make change, right? I wanted to be the guy who changed, I wanted to be the guy, you know, to change the division, make everything great, but at the same time, I would always, like, rather just do the work. I'd rather just work, you know? I didn't want to deal with the, uh, you know... The administrative side. Yeah, all of that. And it's not, like, just the paperwork. It's the the way I have to, like, ask people to do things when I know I can just do them and cover it down, you know what I'm saying? But they're like, hey, you're second class now. Like, you shouldn't be doing this, this, and this. You should have other, other people. That's that's your responsibility to make sure other people are getting that done so you can go work on other things right that that was hard that was a hard change and i'm still but see the 101 kind of came in clutch at this point because 
I get it. For me, I still do. I have the most maintenance hours, right, in the division, right, because of the one-on-one. So I still get to do my work, which is the part I actually enjoy about the Navy, right, just working. Not really all the, uh, the rest, but, uh, yeah, no. I don't know. It's just difficult. The second class has been, uh, it's been real difficult, but I'm glad now. You know, I, I went over the hump and made everything. I made it. It's yeah. good. I, I got my like, system. Well, what, what, what got you over the hump then? Um, just time. Just time and, and learning. So, like, everything in the Navy, I've always just been thrown into it, right? Like, hey, everything. Like, I don't know how to fix certain things with my gear, right? Cool. I don't get trained. I had to figure it out. I learned by things breaking and me having to fix it. Um, sometimes, like, I'd stay up for days working for things that now I stay up and knock out in, like, ten minutes, right? And so... CAS reps that didn't need to be CAS reps, but I didn't know at the time because I did my best, and I, I mean, that's what we, I need a tech assist, right? But now, I've done it so many times, it's not, not that big of a deal. But, yeah, most I ever stayed up was three days working on CSAP range for, for us last year. Uh, and that was my crucible, right? After that, staying up for three days, fixing like 20 faults and passing the CSEP range. I knew, like, by myself, I knew I could do whatever I needed to do as a CT. Right? And what, what have you learned about yourself as a leader? Um, that that kind of jump, like you said, from third class to second class, you kind of take on that leadership aspect, too. What did you learn about yourself? So, like, I showed them, right? So that's kind of how my, my style of leadership, right, is I'm not going to delegate everything. I'm not going to do that. At the end of the day, like, I try to do everything by example, right? I try to lead by example, and if that just means me, for instance, staying up for three days, I got to use that for a while, I would mess with the guys and be like, all right guys, look, I know it sucks that you guys are gonna be missing out on your sleep because of this or that, right? But, like, think about what we were doing last month, right? Uh, I fell asleep on the floor for an hour. That's my, the whole sleep I got in three days. It was an hour on the floor before clamp down, and then I had to get up for clamp. So they kind of saw that happen. They saw me like, oh, wow, okay, Johnson is really, he's really putting in the work. And people wouldn't complain, like, about when I asked them to do stuff, at that point, they were like, okay, yeah, I got you, right? Because it's not like I'm being unfair, right? Because I've been through it too. So they got to see it visually. And that's how I kind of like to do things just in general, right? Like, if it's, if it's hard work, I'm going to go and do it myself first with as many people that I can take, right? I'm not going to, like do it all just to do it um, and then kind of just hope that people see me working and they're like okay we can follow that guy we can do what that guy is trying to do right yeah. trying to lead by example I think that's the best way to do everything like if, I mean especially here just makes sense yeah and you talked earlier about and I mean we've talked about it before just guy to guy but we've talked about kind of your your mentors um, and you talked earlier about CTR1 Tali and, and others. What what made those people special? What did they teach you? Kind of what what did you learn from them? And I mean, do you still have a bond with them? Yeah. So I I, I try to talk to them as much as I can, but obviously, like the point makes it difficult. Um, Tully, CTR1 Tully, he helped me figure out pretty much everything on this ship. Everything. Right. He held me to a standard that nobody I didn't even hold myself to. Right. And when he left, right, I had to hold myself to this, at least 
I tried my hardest to hold myself to the standard that he was holding, right? So, I mean, it was, it wasn't always fun, right? Like, we had rough days because he wasn't going to let me slip up. He held me up. And he always, he always believed in me, right? He always had my back for everything, right? If I was in the, if somebody was wronging, like, somebody was messing with me and stuff, or doing me wrong, right? He would never let it fly, right? And then he always was, he was a man of his word. Everything he ever said he was going to do, he did. He's just a really great person that got to be that I got to meet in the Navy. That was one thing that I will uh, take with me from beyond this is that, like, regardless of you know, everything the Navy can be or you know, in the bad days, right? There's really good people still out there, and I would never have met them if I didn't do this. So, yeah, he he taught me a lot. My standards for myself now are raised because of him. So I'm a better version of myself than, because I met that. Yeah, and you also mentioned people that are still here, like CTR2 Sanchez, CTR2 who, who you tried to, who you tried, tried to, to bring him, wrangle yeah. him onto I the tried. show and do our first duo it. interview. I don't know, it's, it's fine. I, um, so a little little funny story about this, it's you know about an hour and a half before recording, we figured out when we were going to do the interview, and CTM2 comes by and is like, hey, um, so you mind if we can, uh, if I bring on Johnson, or if I bring on Sanchez for, for the podcast, <laughs> I'm like first duo interview sure yeah. and then Sanchez and Johnson are both arguing with each other in front of me oh, we about we about him. whether Sanchez wants to be on the he show or not so was, you didn't even tell him oh he was that, doing it did you tell him yeah of course you, I did you told him yeah, that you, he said he'd guest star for a little bit but uh you know folded folded he so, folded yeah. he folded at the last he minute he folded last minute can you so. really rely on someone like I, you know, yeah you can because he doesn't do that unless uh if it's the real deal he'll never do that Okay, so what what did you learn from what what have you learned from him? So Sanchez, right? But yeah. he can't ever hear this. He will, but um, this dude, got right? He got here um, at a really like unique time, right? Because we just, I mean, ever since he got here, he's always stepped up, right? He's always been that guy since day one. Uh, we lost our chief, right, in our first class, so he took over his LPO, and he just killed it. Like he did it great. It's been amazing. It's I think the division's in like the best spot we've ever been. As a second class LPO, which is crazy, you know. So, um, yeah, no, he's just a good role model, good dude to talk to. Yeah, he's good to have good yeah. people. So. I think that's that's one of the most important, and I I think from every single interview I've done, and so many people that leave the Navy, and the last thing they say is, you know, it's it's really the people that's all that make the Navy what it is. Yeah. And I think you know we all have our role models. You found yours, and I mean I always appreciate talking to you about you know your outlook on how you've learned so much so especially with kind of your fast rise you've also earned a lot of qualifications you've taken on responsibility in a lot of different you know evolutions why have you kind of pushed so hard on those qualifications what really has driven you so hard on that uh i don't i so at the beginning of my time here i set four goals right um i always used to say three but then i picked up a new one uh, I want, before I leave the ship, right, I have to get section leader, which is very ambitious. And, uh, you know, I have a year and a half left, so we'll see. I, I believe in I can still get it, but section leader, at will, watchful coordinator, and focal safety. Those are the four things that I want before I leave, or at least to have experience, right? And I, I mess around with watchful coordinator a little bit, but not much. Still trying to get back on that horse, but that's going to be more of a San Diego thing. So, um, this is fine. I, I'm waiting on it, but those are. The, I just set goals, and I 
I will do anything to get there. Like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to put in the work. If it, some, every once in a while, every few weeks, I'll sit down and think, like, just write it out and just try to figure out what do I have to do to get here? How many hours do I have to spend trying to get here? Again, I don't have watch, so it's not really going to be like a, I didn't have the time to put in the work to get these, right? It's uh, more of a, it's just me, right? I'm trying to balance deployment and um, having a little bit of fun out here and, you know, things like that. But at the end of the day, those are the things that I need. Uh, I recently just have to, I recently found out that I kind of have to go down the seesaw route because it's in my ladder. It's the last thing on my ladder that I have, so I need to get it finished. Um, and I'm working on the area. I'm getting there. But that's like an obstacle, right? That seesaw is just in the way of what I want. Uh, the claws, I, I like them. I like getting those claws, right? Because it's fun. I set a goal a year ago, and I'm trying to see through. And that's really all that is. That's yeah. why I go so hard in the game for those. I mean, goals are what makes makes the dream happen. I, I you're, you're one of those stories of success where it's just like you set a goal and you, you meet it. And I, I have, I've, I've always appreciated that, that with you. So you joined the Navy only a short time ago. What got you? Why, why did you want to join in, uh, in the Navy? Um, so I'm from Indiana, and I didn't want to stay in Indiana, right? Because it's just cornfields, right? So I, wanna, I wanted to see the world. That <laughs> I wanted to see the world. So that was, that was the dream. I was 18. I enlisted at 17, but I mean, I shipped out for boot camp two months into being 18. So I've been in the Navy pretty much my entire adult life. Uh, and yeah, I would never go back and change it, right? Uh, it's just to see the world, and I have. I've seen Korea, I've seen Japan, places I would never see and when I go home. Those people have never seen that either. So I can explain it, and they can never like, it just, everybody in my family is like, wow, you're really out there doing something they think like they, they're under the impression that it's like super important stuff right and for us it's just normal day yeah, to day routine. Um, but yeah it's just just to see the world and it worked I did it financially it's also helping me a lot so yeah I mean it's not it's not bad having a job through the COVID pandemic and yeah. everything like that so I mean you join have you ever thought of I mean post Navy are you going to go back to Indiana or are you uh, what, yes. what do you want to do yes so I, I most likely uh, I'm really undecided about whether I'm staying in or not for another contract but at the end of the day I'm not staying in for the 20 I know that because I've had to introduce myself to my sister four times and that's getting really old I have eight siblings and I need to go back like I, I feel it all the time especially on this deployment right I've really thought about it I feel like everybody's really gotten into thought about things that are like super important to them, right that's this is my thing my, my siblings uh, I just I just need to be back with them I want they're growing up without me and I'm just not okay with me you know I'm really close with them uh, but I have a lot of opportunities back home too it's not like I'm just like throwing it all away to be with family I got uh, my family's huge into oil back home so financially I have a lot of opportunities a lot of routes to go down uh, and I want to go to college too. This GI Bill that we earned, right? Uh, so yeah, I'm going to definitely go back to India. I believe, at least for a little bit. I don't think I'll stay like long term, but I definitely want to go back for a few. Let me guess, University of Kentucky? Uh, no. So I, I probably won't go there. I probably go to a college home at home, right? And then do my college time in Indiana with family before I branch out and go uh, back to 
living and seeing as much as I can. Yeah, because wow. I remember first meeting you and you were wearing all yes. the Kentucky yes, gear and you were in blue and all of that. Yeah. Are you a big Kentucky fan I, still? I, I am. I have missed March Madness this year and last year. You didn't miss much. Yeah, I, I heard I didn't <laughs> miss much. But, yeah, it used to be huge to me. I used to love it. So. Yeah, because Kentucky used to be good. Yeah, but, they used know. to be good. But they here we are. Good. Hey, you know what? <laughs> hey, you know what? My team made it to what the... Team? What team? Uh, Penn State. Oh. Yeah, that's the final on the water. I mean, they made it to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 10 years. Oh, so 10 years. Like, wow. You're really, I know, you've been right? a fan for we, 10 years. Okay, you're old that. money, I'm new money, I get it. I, get it. I mean, yeah, I, well, that's how we met was kind of... NCAA. NCAA yeah. Well, talking about Kentucky, and I see you in this blue and white... like I still have freaking. I wear it all the time. This blue and white track outfit. I got and the with it, yeah. I just uh, you you were wearing the Jays yeah, with it too. Yeah, of course too. I was. I got the Duke. Yeah, the Kentucky <laughs> Jays. It's hilarious. I I remember that. That's a solid fit. Do you still have them? Yeah, I have them in my rack right there. Oh my gosh, you could you could go out with the fit in in uh, in Korea or Japan or whatever. Uh, I haven't put it together in for deployment. I got better stuff now, but it's definitely something I used to like. Just walk around with. I play basketball on it. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. So. You were talking about your relationship with your siblings. What I mean, what kind of what kind of really drives that relationship? Is that kind of what what keeps you fighting for? Or, or, or we all do this for for some reason or another besides the money and the paycheck and all of that. I mean, there's there's that deeper reason of serving others. Are you serving for your siblings back at home? Um, that was the whole point, right? That was the whole point of I enlisted to see the world I did say that But that was kind of like a side thing I wanted them to know Because like, my, my father, right Who raises these eight kids Because right? I'm single I'm single My mom had one kid And that's me, right and I, ra- I was raised by my mom But I visit my dad all the time, right With all these kids And they're half-brothers and stuff But uh, still Just like me, right uh, Really, really close Um Point is, though, I needed them to know there's a way for them to go to college without my dad having to pay for it, right? And there are avenues, right, to do hard things, right? Because it just... I wanted to be the example for them, right? And it's actually working, because my second youngest brother, right, he's 16, and he wants to join the Marine Corps. Like, really, really wants to join the Marine Corps. And I'm not opposed to it, because my my actual dad is opposed to it. He does not want him to go, but for college he's not gonna be able my dad's not gonna be not going to be able to pay for college so this is the way to do it you know mm-hmm. and it's not a bad gig so i'm trying to get him to go and i think it's i think it's a solid move if i can get one of them to go and that be like set up for success think about the life lessons you learn right mm-hmm. life lessons i think are the, definitely the major takeaway from this yeah well uh, there's so many routes that the navy and the, the armed forces can like support you. right like yeah. i mean my route rotc I mean, you're out. You're gonna get that GI Bill and go to college afterwards. Even when you're in the Navy, you can do that. Yeah, like, that's, yeah. But that—that's kind of the big thing that that I always appreciate. You—you you mentioned wanting to go to college afterwards. So, what do you want to study? I mean, um, you've done all this crypto stuff. Yeah. Do you want to keep in that kind of stuff? So no, I think I'm gonna go away from the field. Right. Uh, I was talking about this the other day to a chief on board. Right. So, I. I must, as much as I do like like what I do, right? I enjoy it. I the clearance is huge. Of course, people 
always say use it for for great financial job like jobs after right? whatever um, it's just not something I want to do I, I want to get into that oil mineral like I, I don't really major wise I don't really care but I need to figure out how to run that oil as well as I can and I need to go to college so something that fits that app I, I gotta figure that out really undecided but I will figure it out you know? I know you'll figure it out yeah, I mean something. that's not a question that's just yeah. when it'll happen we went into it. It was like an hour and a half long conversation we had in the viewing. Trying to think about what degree he was talking about. Because that's that degree literally covers everything I need. Now I'll think about it. But I, I know that like we've had some really long conversations. I, I just I always appreciate uh, appreciate watch as an opportunity. You know, we've spent so many, 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 many five hour watches yeah. together. Um have you learned like things from from others in the Navy just by standing those watches All and the just time. being around people? All so the much? time. I've learned so much from people on watch. The watch talks, <laughs> they just hit differently. Um, you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot from a lot of people. And you get to know their backstories, right? So, like, where, every, obviously, a question that pops up on every watch, eventually, a late night watch, is why did you join? <laughs> like, you know, that's, a, that's something that people think about. And hearing everybody's stories, I mean, really, it's a lot of insight as to, Okay, I don't know. Just I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know where I was going. With no, but it's like it's like a where you came from and then where are you going kind of thing. Yeah, I know we've had some. I always appreciate our talks because you know we're we're both very insightful, and I always appreciate your insightful side of things where you you have some really good aspects on things, especially your drive, and um, I always appreciate trying to help you as much as I can because um, I mean. I, I always have appreciated you, but deployment's tough. It's long. Right. You're around the same 300 people all the time. Yeah. How do you take time for just find that time for just you? And what do you do? Like, what's what? What do you do on the side on deployment to just keep sane? Um, you know, PlayStation, right? Birthing PlayStation. Um, just go in there, play with a bunch of people, just hanging out. Uh, it's kind of like lax time. If I'm in birthing and I'm not getting racked out, it's usually my time. You know, I can just hang out, not have to worry about anything, and the stress is gone. Right? I leave the stress in cess or an EW corner. Um, yeah, I just go to birthing, hang out. That's really it. That's that, the game of choice right now. UFC. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're moving on to probably MLB, but I'm trying to keep it on UFC. Cause you got the sports season. Yeah, going. yeah, yeah. We started with 2K and Madden. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah you got the, you got the full cycle going. Yeah, literally we did. We did it all. Okay, who's your fighter of choice though? In UFC? Uh, I you know I don't really I can so the, the how you get good is just play as everybody. Play so as everybody. I have a fighter for each weight class, but I'm, I don't know the names, so I have to look, you know. But yeah, I'm a huge Israel Adesanya fan. Adesanya's so. awesome. Yeah, he's, he's he's just a monster. When yeah, you watch is. him in UFC, like he's just he he his can kicks. kick you down. His yeah, kicks are his great, kicks yeah. are he's, just. Unbelievable, and he could take you down from anywhere. Yes, it's awesome. Okay, are you the are you the champion of the birthing though, or are you just uh, no, are no, you no, just no. another face? No, no, in the no. I'm just another face, but I'm You're at least face in, in the, the top two, two, two out of three. You know what I'm saying? I'm like I'm up there. I'm not the best. I'll get beat every once in a while, but I'm also not getting beat by everybody. That's okay. just not happening. You know. I expect better of you. I like, definitely went on a streak of five. I back to back just took out five people, 
no worries, but there's this one guy I'm birthing, man. You can't mess with him. He's, that he's probably just playing all day long. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. the BM, so. Hey, you know, I'm just watch. telling you, hey, don't talk crap about the BMs. No, I'm saying he's got there. that watch, and he's still the best, so he's not playing all day. Okay, okay. He's grinding. Nah, I'm I mean, respect on the I thought, I, I thought you were I taking never respect that, off of actually. me. I would never do that. All right, BMs listening to this, everybody's okay. Um. Uh, but they've played enough stepbrothers on this deployment to know oh, yeah, that if you're not first, you're last. That's true. So, um, what other things? Like, I mean, you're not playing video games all the time. Right? Um, if you read, I mean, what else do you do? I spend a lot of time in CES, too. Just hanging out. Like, not really, like, uh, worried about things breaking on Because things are not broken all the time. I spend a lot of just chatting with the watch standards, making sure everything's good. Uh, that's really really not that busy i'm just kind of waiting yeah. waiting these months out that's that's the deployment routine that's everybody at home i mean i i run out i i'll admit i've i run out of things to talk about on the podcast sometimes because it's the same routine a yeah. lot but you so you have a you have a top secret point we're not going to talk about anything more than that please don't <laughs> kill him and and anything about that but um i mean how much weight of responsibility is it to just have so much pressure on you from having that high of a clearance? Is it uh, is it tough? No, nah, I mean not being able to tell friends and family things. And okay, like that, that does get annoying. It gets annoying because when they ask me what I do, I I can make up a little bit, right? I'm like, uh, you know, networking and mess with antennas, I, I cabling, right? Um, electronics, uh, stuff like that, right? I can say that, but then they're like, well, what is the point then? What is the point of what you do? That's when it gets like, I'm sorry, but I can't tell I you can, that. I already told you what I actually do. What, you know, I can't tell you what the point of it is, though. So that that is very annoying, especially because like even like people know, my family knows that I have the clearance because they were there when I enlisted. You know, they saw me get the clearance and everything. So, <laughs> I mean, they always like they'll ask me like anything about what I what I do or what I've done they're like hey but I don't mean to like like they always throw that in like I don't mean to ask too much and stuff like that and I'm like look it's really not that interesting I explain it like hey I just do this and then they're like wow okay uh, but no for the most part it's really not that bad not really you know as long as you like yeah I, don't, I like to keep my clearance is, is something I value I'm not going to you know ever mess around tell people too much or yeah. And I don't really care if people think my job's boring either. You know, if I explain what I can't explain, they get upset about me like not explaining the whole thing. I don't really care. I mean, people ask me stuff that obviously I'm not going to be able to answer. I'm just going to look at them and be like, like I can. You know, yeah, you hit me with that all the time. You're like, I'm sorry, sir. I can't tell you. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. So damn, it's just it's not. Sorry, you don't have the clearance level for that. Okay, I guess I've I'm never not had important. anybody get upset about it. When I say that, you know, nobody's actually ever gotten upset. Well, people just need to respect that. I mean, it's, I mean, you're not going to sacrifice your career or anything for them to know the information. Yeah, some basic info. I mean, unless you want to end up on Wikipedia for being a spy. And I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's, that, I mean, that's not the best way to end up on Wikipedia. So we'll, we'll wrap it up um, with, so you talked about racking out quite a bit. So, racking out is a term uh, for everybody at home that doesn't know, is when people come down and you get the unfortunate person that opens up your rack curtains, hey, you're needed, 
Yeah. Um, I've I've been through that. Everybody's been through that. I mean, what gets you through that? Have you ever had a time where you just wake up and you just your mind is not with you and you just like put on the socks wrong or something happens? Yes, many many times, right? So when I told you about the four times I was racked out in one night, right? That was like a month ago. It was a little bit back now, but uh, I got racked out the first time. Like, ah, oh, you know, okay, whatever. Let's go. Let's go fix something. Something really basic. Fixed it. Like, maybe a minute. Right, but I got racked out, went all the way across the ship. I'm already awake. You know, go back to my rack, try to go back to sleep. Before I can even fall back to sleep, I get racked out for something similar, but not the same deal. So I go back up there, fix that within like, yeah, you know, same same time. Nothing, right? At this point, I'm upset, right? Naturally. I'm I, upset. <laughs> I want to sleep at this point. I'm, I'm done. And I get racked out again for something similar. At this point, well, I was told that what I did to fix it didn't fix it but I knew it fixed it right so I was upset I got up this time I'm <laughs> I'm living I go in there I didn't go back to sleep after this at this point I went I laid in my rack but I could not fall asleep um, but I went back and I showed everybody I did training on the spot I was like hey look this is what it looks like I told you guys that it's fixed right don't call this me this is again. what it needs to look <laughs> like and I, if I had to get up again I'm gonna lose it and then that's yeah, it was like 4am something like that and it was already too late. I was like, all right, I'll just sit in my rack. And I couldn't sleep. And they tried to wake me up again. And that's when I told them no. <laughs> that was the four times. I was like, I was not doing it. And I'm glad I didn't because the next day after I finally, like, because I, I stayed up, right, but I, uh, I didn't make it into SES until fourth night down. And I, I just told them. Everything. The other watch team took over, had no issues because the problem didn't exist. I was upset. You were just a little Racking upset. out is the worst part of it. I Definitely mean, how do you get up from that? I mean, just, what, what gets you up? You, you like, it's grab a, some I literally caffeine don't have an and option. call it No, it's, I don't have an option. It's the only, it's the, for me, it's a trade-off of not having watch. I, I don't have watch so that I can get racked out at any time. Yep. I, so... I, I don't know. I don't think I would trade my life for that with re- with regular watch. I wouldn't trade that. I don't know. Waking up once in the middle of the night is hard enough. I, I'm drinking like a, a, a Dr. Pepper at 2.30 in the morning to yeah. get myself up. The problem is the schedule, right? You set yeah. a schedule. You try, like for instance, I try, I get up at a certain time. I stayed up till a certain time. I eat Medgrats and I went to sleep um, so I could wake up and eat breakfast so I can get four meals. That's where I was at the time. But when you get racked out in the middle of that, it ruins the entire thing. Because I was set to get, like, I think it's like seven hours of sleep or six hours of sleep. I set myself up for that. And then lost all of it. I got like two hours. And ruined my whole day. You know? Yeah. And then the next day, I tried, I went to sleep early. Ruined the whole, like, routine. Everything. Ruined all of it. Yeah, it just ruins your day because your yeah. sleep schedule is just all screwed up after yeah, that. So that's the problem with getting racked out. That's yeah, I just, I, I, I always hate, like, the fo- you hear the foam ring and you're birthing, and it's like, nobody's f- picking up, and then you just, you just have that feeling that yeah, somebody's calling know. for you. And you just, you lie awake in your rack. They stop calling. Like, no! They, they definitely I, don't call anymore. They stop calling, and then, like, five minutes later, you hear... That's get the shake. Shh, 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 shh. Yeah. Shh. Hey, uh, the captain's going. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst, it's the worst feeling. feeling. It's the worst feeling. Yeah. Well, uh, CTM2 Johnson, I mean, you can't talk about a guy that grinds more than you. Um, 
I, I, I always appreciate talking to you. I mean, so I it's just, we, we don't, our schedules don't always coincide, but I mean, I always appreciate, uh, just how much you're just always trying to get better. Yeah, trying. And I, I appreciate you coming on, and thanks for coming on the Boiler of Glass for this, uh, for this interview. Yeah, no problem, sir. Yeah. And thank you again to CTM2 Johnson for joining the show and being our interviewee for this episode. And now we're going to wrap up the show. I'm going to leave you here. Uh, we'll end out the show at the end of this next segment, but uh, we're going to wrap up the show with a little bit of a longer segment uh, than you're used to. Uh, we're going to try it out. It's called the Second Tour Slam. we got a couple of our Second Tour Division officers, so officers that have already done their first tour, gotten their swoop pins, come on to their second tour, and are working a little bit more advanced jobs on board, have seen it all in their first tour, and can give the first tours kind of that advice on their uh, on their second tours. Uh, they provide some advice and a little bit of uh, some fun moments, some funny moments from their first tours, um, as well as just some kind of general advice that they give to us first tours on the ship. So without further ado, I'll, I'll lead in with a few of our second tours for our second tour slam. Hope you guys join us next time on the Bodar Blast. <laughs> okay, uh, so we are down in the uh, we're down in the weapons office uh, uh, on board USS Decatur at sea right now, all cramped together within about five feet together. I'm joined with four of our second tour uh, junior officers on board, so Lieutenant Junior Grade Caleb Johnson, Lieutenant Junior Grade Sam Moon, uh, Lieutenant Jake Sturkenberg, and Lieutenant Junior Grade Jake Stout. Um, and uh, you, you got your recording sesh, uh, you know, jitters out a moment ago. Now we're doing the actual recording. Um, but thank you all for joining me tonight. Uh, I'm kind of in the back here because they're all going to huddle around the mic. Uh, this new segment we're calling the Second Tour Slam. And uh, it's just a bunch of Second Tours talking about uh, a prompt I give them and uh, kind of talking about experiences from their career so far. So the prompt for this week's Second Tour Slam for all of you guys is... Uh, Silly things you did during your first tour, um, things you wish you had known during your first tour, and then advice you would give uh, some of the first tours on board. There's like 20 of us, um, and you know we always appreciate advice. So some some advice of things that you've learned in the past. And uh, <laughs> am I up first? <clears throat> okay. Do I need to say my name again? No, no. Just just, go well, into I it? mean, you can say you're Caleb Johnson. Yeah. Okay. Hello, everybody. Caleb Johnson. Uh, so, silly thing I did as a first tour, uh, other than being perfect, I had one slip up. Shut up. Whatever. Um, I mean, hey, if you're perfect, you're perfect. But no, seriously, uh, so I think the first thing I slipped up on was kind of early on, it was very early on uh, in my Divo career, I guess, um, learning like the chief Divo relationship mm. and how important your chief actually is. Yeah. So, uh, we were in Sasebo, COVID was a thing, and we were doing uh, Liberty Plans for everybody yeah. like over the weekend mm -hmm. and <laughs> I had just taken over MP uh, on my last ship MP originally had like five divos and then they all left and it was just me and so <clears throat> it was like a Friday afternoon it was late we just finished up work and I was trying to find one of my chiefs so I could get the Liberty Plan signed so I could sign them get them to the EXO and then let my guys go they've been working like super hard that day and for some reason, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to hold my guys' delivery up because I can't find my chiefs. And I was like, I'm the Divo. The Divo outranks the chief. Like, you know, dumb ensign 
uh, mistake. So I just signed both <laughs> for Chief and Diva. And I was like, they're going to have to be okay with it. And immediately Chang was like, get to my office right now. All three of my chiefs were there, and they were like super pissed off. And they're like, what do you think you're doing? Mm -hmm. You're not a chief. I'm responsible for these guys. Like, you might think you're responsible, but I'm responsible. Mm -hmm. And it was like the first time I got chewed out by a chief in general. And so that was definitely like the silly thing. It was like, do not take your chief for granted. And don't think just because technically you have the higher rank that like you can just step over the chief and think it's okay. So that's probably my silly divo mistake, silly innocent mistakes. I have a I have a good one actually. Um, so on my last ship. Oh, by the way, this is Lieutenant Jake Sturkberg, uh coming at you live. Um, <clears throat> this one is actually pretty funny. We were getting ready to do uh, LOA uh, on my first ship, and leading up to LOA, as I'm sure you guys know, because everybody here has experience in engineering, um, you do. Um, the safe to operate checks, um, which is referred to as stow, and so we're getting ready to go through LOA, and I was, you know, brand new ensign, and Chang and everybody kept saying like, oh yeah, we're, uh, you know, we gotta do stow, we gotta do this, blah blah blah. They kept throwing out stow, and the whole time in my head I'm like, okay, like I don't know what stow, like the systems test officer has to do mm. with <laughs> all of this, but like I guess they're important for this, and then we get to a day where we're going to do like our first like practice stow walkthrough and I get down to the space and I'm like I don't know where stow is Where's but I'm going to go ahead and call stow so I called our stow and I was like hey we're doing stow walkthrough uh, like are you on your way down he was like basically like you're an idiot go talk to your your department head and I uh, went to talk to Chang and I was like hey stow's not down in the space <sighs> promptly explained to me what uh, safe to operate means and uh how to conduct that so learning learning acronyms even though i've been in the navy for a long time yeah. always learning acronyms. it's always alphabet soup that's true i think we all probably have experiences of like messing those up especially early on i thought uh smell which i think it is on some ships i thought smell only stood for senior medical officer and i didn't realize like when you go to ships that there's an actual smell that's like designated to make sure that like materials and avails get scheduled and yeah I was I sounded dumb for a really long time. Well the Navy also just tries to come up with acronyms. All the time. At magic. Just because. All the time. You have a story you want to share with us? Um I I kind of wanted to piggyback off of Caleb's story about about the chief situation so when I was also an MP Divo um this was on Blue Ridge, so we had engine room and fire room, and I was in charge of the guys in the fire room, and another first tour was in charge of the the guys in the engine room. And we each had chiefs, and then we had one master chief who was like our DLCPO for the department, but also like was very heavily involved in MP. And there was a period of time where, you know, like he wanted to be really forward leaning. He was like, if anybody's putting in like leave or special request shit, and this was during COVID, so there wasn't a lot of it happening, but it happened occasionally. But he said, if any of your sailors want to put in a leave or a special request shit, they need to have their, their PMKEE, their professional knowledge exam, for the next pay grade done before they could route anything. And it was, it was kind of a ridiculous requirement, especially for, in this case, it was a uh, second class petty officer who had just put on second. 
So he wasn't going to be eligible for first in like years. Um, and he wanted a special request shit, I think just to spend time with his wife. So he routes it to me and he was like, Hey, chief has already signed it. Can you take it to Chang and master chief? I was like, yes, is your PMKEE done? And he was like, no, I'm not going to be eligible for the test for a really long time. And I was like, I hear you, but, like, you know how Master Chief is. I'm not going to be able to route this until you get your PMKEE done. I promise you, like, you know the answer, so it's probably going to take you two seconds. He's like, yeah, ma'am, I understand. I think, like, 30 minutes later, my chief is on the phone, and he's screaming at me. He's like, you can't do this. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're refusing to sign the special request shit for a sale. Um... I was like, no, I'm not refusing to sign it. I really want to sign it, but I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard spot between like trying to do right by my sailors and trying to like buy into the standard that like my khaki leadership is setting for the department. Um, I was like, if, if you want to go talk to Master Chief and explain the situation and explain your thoughts and feelings on it, I'm totally behind you. But like, this is what's coming down and this is the standard that Chang has chosen to set via Master Chief. Um, so I got to hold my ground on that one. And then I think like not 10 minutes after that, my sailor comes back to me and he was like, ma'am, I'm really sorry. Like I didn't mean for it to go that way. He's like, I had no intention of, I didn't know chief was going to react in, in that way. And I was like, no, I appreciate it. And I think chief and I talked about it later. We always kind of like butted heads, but we talked about it later, but that's like another thing too, is like you try to do right by your division. Um, and if your, your department head or your departmental leadership is not maybe on the same page, it, it can cause a lot of dissonance, but I think we got through it. The master chief came down from it a little bit. Things were able to move a little bit smoother, but yeah, trying to maintain that bridge is crucial, uh, but at times very difficult. I came up with another acronym that I screwed up. That's kind of funny yeah. as a first year, brand new in engineering. Uh, my buddy was the OXO and every day <coughs> at Kagi call, he would brief about this issue with the RO demon. And it was, like, pretty consistently for, like, weeks that he was briefing this. And for weeks, I thought that they were just referring to an issue with the ROs that they were just calling a demon. That they were just, like, there's this mysterious issue with our ROs, and they're just calling it a demon. And then I was doing an engineering walkthrough and promptly found the RO demineralizer. Oh my god. And then realized really quickly that the RO demon was just short for RO demineralizer. I also would think it would stand for just RO demon. Well, like I said, I, was, I, was, I didn't have ROs in my new. first ship, so I didn't know they needed demineralizers. Yeah, well, like I said, I was brand new and I knew what ROs were just from being in the Navy before, you know, like, oh, the ROs make water, cool. Uh, but I had never heard of the RO demon. I really thought there was a demon. ROs, they had no idea what was making them <laughs> screw up. I think there are all kinds of like urban myths and legends in every engineering plant. We all have like our superstitions that, that you grow up with. <laughs> that sometimes you get down into engineering and you're like, why is everybody speaking a different language? Like, why is nobody like walking on this side or wearing this thing? Nobody says this and we all do this these things. It's, it's insane. Well, we've heard a few stories. Jake, do you have anything that you want to share about your time as a first tour? I don't really have anything in particular. I just remember being being the ensign for, like, the first eight months of my tour. Um, I showed up to Bunker Hill pretty much weeks before we deployed, and she'd done a back-to-back deployment, so I missed the first one because I was doing school. Showed up to the second one right away, and we left right away. So already the crew was at this level of proficiency that mm-hmm. 
is so high post-deployment that you show up as a new ensign and you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. And I think for like the first probably three months, you're just kind of running around. I didn't have a job title. I was just there doing my thing, checking in the Trano and the PTO. I'm running around the engine spaces. I'm running around combat, trying to remember the codes and the phone numbers to things. So you finally get your job title. And I just remember for like the first probably probably eight to nine months of my tour, almost the whole deployment, you just you just have this level of imposter syndrome, yeah. where everybody around you is at such a high proficiency level, and because you never saw the workup cycle, and you never saw any of the trainings or anything else, you have nothing to reference it to. Mm -hmm. And so it took me a very long time to get an understanding of what SCED was, what OMS was, what RADA was, what all these things that we did back and forth that really made no sense, and nobody taught you about it in school. Yeah. Like the 3M training we got was about you guys, but my VDOC 3M training was like six hours long. Yeah, same. And it was yeah. all PowerPoint. Yeah. I feel like we did like a maintenance Awful. university, but... We did a 3MU, yeah, and it was very like... Like, if you don't know what you're talking about, because now, right, they don't send anybody to, to their ships first. Like, you just go to VDOC, and that's your first time hearing about like SCED and 3M as a, an entity. It's all just completely over your head. You have to like see it and kind of know like this is what PMS is, and this is what my guys are doing, and this is why it's important, and this is how I track it. Okay, now tell me all of that again. It's a mess. It's hard, too, when you show up and you're like, they don't know where they're going to put you, and like you don't know where you're going to go, and you're like trying to figure out what would be a best fit for you, but you also know that you really don't have a say. And like I showed up you know, being a prior ET, and I was like, yes, sir, I have experience in combat systems, and they had me shadowing the combo, and I was like pretty sure that I was going to be combo, and then they were like, hey, you're going to go to engineering. And I was like, well, that's extremely far out of my element, but mm -hmm. I guess we're going to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. That's why I liked what we were doing with the rotations, because it not only gave new divos a chance to kind of see where their, where their fit was and get their feet wet, but it also was a chance for the divisions and the departments to kind of assess like where where the fit was as well and I know a lot of times you know it's needs in the Navy and that applies on the ship level as well if there's a spot that's vacant and you need a divo in that spot and you have a new divo the divo is probably going to go to that spot they're probably not going to do a huge big shuffle to try and assess best fit and who works well and who has the aptitude because you know part of being a divo is is kind of getting good at everything so there is there is merit to being out of your comfort zone but I think there's also merit to kind of giving yourself a chance to to experience a couple things and, and grow into a position that works best for you. My uh, my first captain was a pilot, and he was very adamant when I got to my ship. He was like, "You're a brand new divo. You get three months to just be like unnamed divo, no division. You." I did the same thing. I mustered with Traino, and there were days where it was awesome because I didn't have any real responsibilities. I could just run around and get PQS done. But then it got to a point where it was really difficult because it was like, okay, I need to get my LCPO divo qual for 3M and I have no division to look at SCED. I have no work center suit to, to tell me what, what maintenance is important. I was trying to do divo float stuff. I didn't have a division. And I was you know, asking people, you know, shadowing them. And they were like, who is this random division officer I've never seen before? So that was a little weird, but you know, blessings and curses. Okay, so we talked about kind of your first tour experiences. What kind of advice would you give for junior officers on board this ship based off your experiences in the first tour? I'll go first on that one. So with my with my discomfort of being on the ship right as it deployed and my level of imposter syndrome, the first thing that I had to get over was asking just what I thought were stupid questions. 
had to you had to take out the pride aspect of it mm-hmm. and understand that these people were at such a high level. And I wasn't anywhere near that, and understandably, I had to show up for the show. And so I had kind of like the perfect scenario where I had three senior chiefs back-to-back. Wow. It was ridiculous. I had a GSMC, a GSCC, and then a DCCS. Wow, that's insane. It was actually, I learned a lot from that's all three awesome. of those people. I owe a lot to the officer I am today to each of them. Um, and so I just had to go over the fact that I didn't know anything, and I pretty much knew everything. Yeah. And so until you can get over the fact that you really un- don't understand anything from school, particularly from your training pipeline, mm-hmm. whether it was ROTC Academy or OCS, you show up to the ship and you still know absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so you can't have that chip on your shoulder, and you have to trust your chief, and you have to trust that they're going to train you. Mm-hmm. And until you get over that attitude check and that pride check for yourself, there's no way you're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. I think with the way that ensigns are getting pumped onto ships these days, you know, us having, what, 27-odd first tours, um, I feel like it's pretty easy for first tours to get lost in the sauce and kind of it gives them an easy route to just float into the background and kind of be seen and not heard, but that's not really the way that you get your qualifications done. Um, you know, I had a department head on my first ship, you know, who would die by the saying that, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and I think that holds true, and I think, um, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, not singling anybody out, but I think a lot of people, um, complain that, uh, you know, that they don't, they're not afforded the same time or same experience that other divos have, um, and when, like, <clears throat> realistically, they could be using that time to, to study, to meet with SMEs, to, to talk through things, and instead of just like, oh, well, my job is pretty easy, and it's not super involved, so I'm just going to kind of fade it in the background, um, you know, what we're seeing now is, um, you know, a lot of first tours coming up right on their slate. Um, you know, still not, you know, OD qualified or SWO qualified and, uh, you know, kind of getting, you know, more or less pushed right at the very end and then their, you know, their divo jobs are kind of falling apart because Mm -hmm. they they only have enough time to to study Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to kind of a steady strain approach to uh, to the qualifications. Um, So just, you know, always get out there, talk to people, study as much as you can, show that you care, show that you want progress. Uh, you know, and you'll eventually get there. Yeah. I guess piggybacking off of that, people see everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Especially when you're underway and you're on deployment. People see you when you're operating on all cylinders, and people see you when you're having a bad day, when you're down in the dumps, when you don't feel like doing anything. And I think as a first tour, especially, you really have to push through that. Um, and you really kind of have to get out of your head. And, and really push to be the best that you can be every day um, because people take note of that and when you go to them and you, you ask for that extra training or you ask for that evolution um, they will remember the time that you stayed up late to study in the wardroom and they will also remember the time that you went home early um, and that's not you know being vindictive I don't think that's really like the slow way um, I just think that's like a, a matter of, of fact if people work for the positions that they have, for the knowledge that they have, the qualifications that they have. Um, and it's a constant refinement of your skills over time. No one's expecting you to have that from the jump, but they are expecting you to work at it um, throughout your time being a first tour. Me? <laughs> um, I have like two pieces of advice, actually. One of them 
Jake, it might kind of, it'll either contradict or amplify your advice. Um, even though you start out and you don't know anything, and this goes off of what you were saying, Sam, there's no such thing as like too much training. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care what anybody says. Like, I was always so we had this uh, commander at BDOC, Commander Madonia. Oh, he was mine. He was yours. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember one of his favorite quotes was, "Competence begets confidence." Yeah. And he would say that all the time. And so, the only way you kind of get over, like you're saying, like that first tour, like I don't really know anything, is just like study, study, study. And there's no such thing as too much study. There's no such thing as talking too much to the SMEs mm-hmm. or anything like that. And that's how you get your confidence level up. And once you get that confidence and you get that level of knowledge, you can't be afraid of confrontation. Yeah. And when you have like that knowledge to fall back on. A lot of people think, oh, well, I'm just an ensign, or oh, I'm just a divo, so I'll shut up. But, like, no, you can't be afraid of confrontation, whether it's with the CO, the XO, your department head, your sailors, your chief. Like, you gotta, at the end of the day, you kind of have to be, like, the buck stops here for your division. Yeah. And I think that's one important thing that a lot of people kind of shy away from. Just because I feel like people today are averse to confrontation in general. And it's easy to do that whenever you like know the references and you know the way that things should be done. Because that's yeah. exactly how I felt when I got to MP. Even though I had my swope in, I just got my swope in and they booted me down to engineering. I felt super out of my depth. I felt like my sailors and my chiefs were just running circles around me. Um, but I just like got in the pubs. I got in the pubs. I was asking questions. I was watching what they were doing. Probably for the first like month and a half, two months I was down there. And then I was like hey, aren't you supposed to be doing it this way? And they were like, well. And I'm like, well, it says like right here that we need to be doing it this way. Did you do this thing? And when you kind of show them the black and white, it's a lot harder for them to be like, you're a first tour, you're an ensign, you don't know anything. But that's how like, that doesn't stop when you're a divo. Like that's what second tours do. That's what department heads do. That's what exos and COs do. They're relying on the references and the black and white. Like that's your ammo. Um, That's how you get smart and that's how you lead a really good division. Um, two more pieces of advice uh, I'm going to quote Commander Madonia again so I don't know if he told you the same story he told our class about when he was in when he was talking to one of the captains that was in Japan at the time of the Fitz collision I don't um, know if I heard that story so basically he was talking about how in some cell uh, might have been the Desron I'm not sure but everybody was freaking out when they heard about the Fitz collision and this one dude was just like kind of like level-headed and calm and this one guy was freaking out and he told him like he told him something like don't run it scares the horses yeah and as divos like you said everybody's always watching you right and you have so many eyes looking at you and sometimes even like your department head if it's like that one thing the captain asks about and they're not really tracking it but you're tracking it like you can't you can't be frazzled easily um like there's moments where you should be a little panicked but Keeping a level head is very important to do, or a very important ability to have, I guess, as a divo, um, because there's so many eyes on you all the time, and your energy is very infectious. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing my last captain told me was like, as a first or divo, your job is energy, whether it's energy in the water room, energy with your division. Like, I don't expect you to be a subject matter expert, but I expect you to keep your guys focused. I expect you to keep your guys like up to the standard Mm -hmm. and so like just being able to kind of take that deep breath in certain situations is very important the third thing last thing then I'll shut up is like have fun I know like 
the SWOT community sometimes can seem kind of uptight. And I know there's always deadlines, there's always PQSs, there's always something you have to do. But, like, take that time to have fun and just, like, make the job what you want to make it. Get out of the Diva world what you want to get out of it. And, like, don't put too much stress on yourself. Like, at the end of the day, you're still a person, so. I got a couple more, just real quick. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, going off of what you were talking about with tech pubs and, like, getting into the references... I think equally as important is, like, learning your maintenance. Oh, my God, yes. Like, learning all of the checks that your guys are doing on a regular basis yes. not only helps your confidence. Anytime you have to talk to the captain about, like, hey, this is what's going on or this is what happened with this check, you know, it gives you that level of knowledge and that confidence to, to be able to talk smartly about what's going on in your vision, but it also shows your sailors that you care. Yes. And that you care about what they're doing what their maintenance involves you know what it what all involves um and it just helps you so much overall i think once i had a good grasp on like all of our maintenance checks that's when like things really like uh you know uh crested for me as a as a demo and i, I really felt like i had hit my stride the other thing is um <clears throat> you can go on like weeks of high notes where it's like you're knocking things out of the park your admin is straight everything is good um and then you screw up one thing like up on the bridge in front of the captain yeah. and he lights you up um and you just feel like your whole world is collapsing and i think it's really important to be able to push through that and understand that like that's just a one-off and most captains aren't going to like hold that as a grudge against yeah. you um that's just you know you screwed something up and they're they're just going to jump down your throat and i think it's important to to be able to come out on the other side of that, learn from your mistake, and not let that just bog you down as like, uh, you know, a watchstander or whatever, whatever it is that you screwed up. Um, just always push through to the end. I would agree. No one's really expecting anybody to be perfect, but they are expecting you to, to do your due diligence to make sure you understand the task at hand and you're seeing it through to the best of your ability. And they're, to ask questions when you don't understand. They're stuff. not expecting you to be perfect, but they're definitely expecting you to not make the same mistake twice. Oh, for sure. For sure. Hondo that's P. when things really start to go south for people. Yeah. And that's where you'll start to see, you know, dipping your toes into non-attainment. Alright, let's talk about how awesome boards are. I think that's the real advice all first tours need. Concur. You're I mean, gonna be upset when you drop however hundreds of dollars to get the two pair, but you're gonna feel like the coolest on the ship. I mean, if you're as cool as I am, I ordered Bulwarks for all of engineering three pairs a piece. We spent twenty two thousand dollars. Twenty two k on Bulwarks on Bulwarks for the entire engineering department. Steamers, the captain, yo. And so yeah, twenty two grand for Bulwarks. I, I still have all full three sense. pairs. Mine. Don't get the soft kind. That was my mistake. I got like the, I guess there's a version that's super soft. Pet two, oh. two, one, one, yeah, two. that's yes. the one that you need. So I, I got kind of screwed over. I got a free pair, the red ones I have. Uh-huh. The free pair. They're still like the Bulwark brand, but I think you're talking about the electrician's Bulwarks. For some reason, they're super thin, they're super light, which is great if you're like in a hot environment, uh -huh. but they're just so thin and like mildly uncomfortable. I'm not sure why, but I still love my red couples. I like them too. I will say these retain a lot of heat out here. They do. The yeah. You Pacific. do get a little uh, 
swamp booty if you're not careful. But That's true. The good thing about the light ones, though, is that they actually are very hard to rip. Like, I've, I've snagged those red ones on a couple of things. I'm not sure what you're wearing, but I ripped. I rip my bulwarks all the time. So, I have the cat twos, right? Those cat twos. The elbows on both of those, like, both sleeves are shredded from gas-free. So, these these are like, yeah, okay. These are, those aren't bad. These are thin. These are very thin, and they have very low fidelity, We're but not I in the love army. Them. Why are you crawling around on your elbows? Because he's gas-free. Gas, I was gas-free and stuff on my Why ship. were you gas-free and stuff on your last ship? Okay, so I got swindled by the DCA on my last ship. And so, for those of you that don't know, as DCA, you do gas-free, where you go into these different spaces and make sure that the air in those spaces is breathable so that people can go and do work, right? Part of the training for that is you have to go to a formal school, and then you have to do 40 hours of on-the-job training, and then you have to take a test. There's a couple pieces. But I tried to get a head start before I got here, and so on my last ship when I got orders to be DCA, the DCA there was like, hey, do your 40 hours of on-the-job training with me. That way, when you get to your next ship, you don't have to do that part. Makes sense. And I was like, that's really smart. So I went to the GFE school, and then I did all the gas freeze with him. And then I got the D case. And I was like, yeah, I already did my 40 hours on the job training. And they were like, you're going to a DBG. And I was like, yes. And they were like, you came from an LSD. And I was like, yes. And they were like, and that DCA is not going to be your DCA on the DBG. And I was like, yes. And they were like, so you know none of that counted, right? Ah. Uh, and I was like, wait, what? And they were like, yeah, you got, like, swindled. You got hoodwinked, my guy. So he basically tricked me into doing all of his all gas, of gas freeze. So that he wouldn't have to, under the premise that it would satisfy my 40-hour on-the-job training requirement. What else we got? I don't really have anything to add on that one. My origin on uh, my last ship was really good. It connected really well. Actually, <laughs> uh, I swear. It's, we, we had I don't such know a why I laughed like that. I don't know. Everybody has so different experiences, but we, we had a really good wardrobe. I think it's because we did two deployments back to back. So yeah. everybody just kind of came in, and the wardrobe yeah. already had its environment set, and we just kind of enjoyed that. But we did, we did a great time. I never experienced any of the animosity. Yeah. The wardrobe on this ship was fractured when I got here. I gotta go into too much detail, but there was not that many officers. We were in the yards, and it was broken. And it took a long time for it to get unbroken. It was probably one of the worst wardrobe situations I've ever seen. Would you say things got better? On or about March 3rd, 2023. Shut up. What happened on March 3rd, 2023? You already know it's a setup. That's when you got the greatest DCA oh, ever. On board USS Decatur. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that I am just now getting used to in the Navy is how frequently those dynamics and environments change. Because I remember being like a brand new ensign on my first ship and thinking like, you know, you're at the bottom of the totem pole and you're looking up to everybody and you're like, my wardrobe is so amazing. I have all these amazing people to look up to. And then it's like you blink and suddenly there's like 15 ensigns and they're all asking you for help. And you turn around and none of your mentors are there. None of your friends are there. Like all of your department heads have turned over. You have a new captain and you're like, this is the same ship, the same room, like my home. And it's like a, another family has moved in and I'm just like spectating. And somebody used to say, like, I think I had a department head that was like, normally when you feel like that, it's a time for you to go. Yeah. But 
you know, it's always a balance of like, okay, yeah, it's time for me to, to go to a new place and be that new energy where I can start in a different spot. But it's also just getting used to the fact that that's the Navy. People leave and, you know, wrapping your head around the idea of, yeah, at my farewell, the people that are going to be saying goodbye to me are not going to be the people that, that really kind of helped me through it. Um, as a first year, that was really sad to me, but I think I'm just kind of used to that. I think it's crazy when right before you leave on the planet when there's a big uptick in getting manning. Yeah. And like before you know it, there's like half the ship and you're like, I don't know who any of you people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was me around the time I left my last ship where I would be walking around and I'm like, I used to know everybody's name on this ship. I know maybe ten of you. <laughs> yeah. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it, our our Navy career, too, well, Jake, not, not Jake, because he's got prior time, but it's such such a small facet of what so many people experience for the majority of their adult life that, like, I don't know, I can't really say you get numb to it, but that that's just the way it is. But luckily, we have, like, technology now. It's really easy to keep in touch with, with your old mentors and your old friends and reach back for help. So that's always something nice to rely on. Though. The best thing is, you guys probably have experienced it just in the, you know, four or five years that you've been in, but, um, anywhere I go, practically, I know somebody. Yeah. Like, literally, anywhere in the country, anywhere around the world, there's somebody there that I know that I can, like, reconnect with, and, like, if I go to any place and need a place to stay, I just, hey, I know this person's there, and hit them up, they got recommendations, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I'm at the point where I'm at maybe one or two degrees of separation from most of the people that I meet now in the Navy. It's kind of small, very small. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, if everybody at home enjoyed the second tour slam, hopefully we can get these guys back next week uh, or in a couple weeks for the uh, next episode. And, uh, they're going to come up with a prompt next time. I came up with a prompt with them this time. Uh, but if you want to see more segments or new segments on the uh, or, or listen to them on the podcast, uh, please let me know uh, via the Ombudsman, Mrs. Kelly Sleetsman. And uh, thank you to all of you guys uh, for really just kind of uh, having talks about the school community and kind of your, your experience in it. Um, and hopefully we can do this soon.